Mac Power Users, episode 473, Sean Blanc's Evolved Workflows. Welcome to the Mac Power Users. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Stephen Hackett. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing well, David. I'm a little sad that we're not together for this one. Yeah, it was really fun recording an ad, being able to actually make eye contact while we recorded. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. So big thanks to people who came out to the live show. It was it was so much fun to see people and hang out, and uh, it just it means a whole lot. Yeah, and, and even just talking to listeners afterwards, uh, as always, I always uh, you know discover that almost everybody that listens to the show is smarter than I am, <laughs> and I've pulled the biggest fraud on the internet over the last ten years. But but it's really great. I, I do think now I need to just keep like ten or fifteen people in my office to cheer while I record. I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> like it really helps me. So, so you're, helps hiring, with, uh, you're hiring part time, and the interview is just. I just want to hear you applaud, and if you do a good job, yes. you're hired. Yes. Yes, and I'd like just one or two affirmations. I just want to know how good you are at that, because I need plenty of it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we've got a guest today. We've been looking forward to uh, having this gentleman on the show for some time. He was on Mac Power Users several years ago, and I've been eager to have him back and talk about his workflows. Welcome back to the show, Sean Blanc. Hello, hello. Yay, David. <laughs> All right, you're in. <laughs> you're hired. You're in. <laughs> Employee number one. <laughs> yes. So the, for those who don't know Sean, uh, he's been an indie blogger for years. Uh, when Sean uh, left his day job and went on his own, I watched very carefully. And I think, Sean, you're partly responsible for planting seeds uh, for me. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, for sure. And Stephen, I know you follow Sean as well. Yeah, in fact, Sean was the first person who paid me to do something on the internet. <laughs> I, yes. I wrote for Tools and Toys. No kidding. 2010, 2011. I mean, it's like it's my first like paid side thing was from Sean, yep. and uh, I will always be thankful for that. And I will always be thankful oh, for boy. you guys. This is great. It's nice. See, we we should still be in Chicago and just group hug. Yeah, I, 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 that would help with the affirmation thing. I think I think we need to plan that. Um, anyway, and, and Sean also, so in addition to your um, SeanBlanc.net website, which is excellent, um, you also did work for so long at Tools and Toys, and now you've got a whole bunch of stuff over at the Suite Setup, which is, in my opinion, is kind of like the wire cutter for Mac users and iOS users. It's just a, a great site that looks at different... Um, software and, and workflow solutions and picks the one they love and, and writes it up. It's just a, it's a, just a great website. Yeah. Thanks. It's, it's kind of funny. It actually kind of came out around the same time as iOS seven when there was this huge UI refresh, right. And everything just went flat. Yeah. And everyone's bemoaning on Twitter. Like, Oh, I hate the new default X, Y, Z app. Like, yeah. We should, we should help with that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Good times. And you do some productivity stuff. You've got the focus course and then you've got some other stuff that you've done. And you guys also put out a screencast on some great products. Like I know you've got one in the works for Ulysses now. Um, you did one on one password. You've got, a, you've got several great uh, courses over there to help people figure things out. So you're just a busy guy, Sean. Thanks. Yeah. We, we, we've got a lot of great systems. Steven actually was also a huge part with helping build the suite setup. He was our editor in chief for quite a while and uh, really got things humming along 
really nicely. The site would not be what it is today without Steven's help for sure. So got to, got to give credit where credit's due. <laughs> Thanks, man. I forgot how much Steven used to work with you guys when we set this up, but, but you guys, uh, you guys are old hands together. We, oh, yeah. Stuff. yeah, absolutely. I mean, we go way back and one of my favorite things about Sean is his, just, and we're, we're going to get into this, but the way Sean, that you work with a team is, you know, so many, so many people sort of in this racket are indie or just have, you know, one person they work closely with, but you know, you've got a whole organization now we can get into that about how you, how you work through that, but it was great to be part of that for so long. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I do want to point out too, that you do have a project that we haven't mentioned because I both love and hate it. That <laughs> you are, are uh, in, in addition to all of this, uh, and your husband and your dad, you got three boys, but you also have decided to adopt a 1984 Jeep CJ7 in the color that I would buy, the basically the, the exact layout I would want. And you're just rebuilding a Jeep in your garage in your spare time. And uh, every time you post about it, I am happy for you, but also a little bit jealous. Come on out and we'll wrench on it, dude. Yes. Like, it's so much fun. On my way. David, yeah. David, you got the rest of this. I'm going to be at Sean's by the time we finish this. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> I got a client that gets those old Jeeps and he like customizes them for movie stars, you know, out in LA. Oh, wow. And and he goes crazy with the stuff he does on those Jeeps. But the uh, I, I didn't realize how much money you could spend on a Jeep until he started telling me the types of yeah, things he does. Just Oh, so much. All the money. Yeah. It's, it's like AV well, equipment. You can just keep spending. There's no upper limit. You know, when I was um, like a teenager and in my 20s, there was a, a similar fixation with old VW bugs. And uh, at least in California, all everybody wanted to get like a beater VW and just fix it up themselves. It feels to me like Jeeps have kind of taken over that role as the VW bugs. The original ones have disintegrated over the last 20 years. Yeah, they've all dissolved. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Some of these bolts, I'm like, something's disintegrating for sure. They're still, they're still doing it. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 30 years of rust. <laughs> well, the nice thing about the bugs was anybody could work on them. They they had like six parts in the engine or something. But anyway, uh, so uh, Sh uh, Sean, it's been a while. What what is your gear these days? I mean, what are you using in terms of Apple hardware and 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 other manufacturers? You know, I have almost entirely switched over to an iPad. Uh, I don't know lifestyle. Is that is that the, is that the term? Workflow. Um, Ever since the 9.7, I kind of got the 9.7 inch iPad Pro back when it came out. Yeah. Um, and then that, like, it just kind of all like, like settled for me. I was like, wait, this is actually really great. Um, and now with the, I have the 11 inch now and like, I'll literally, I have two desks in my office. I have a quote unquote, like an analog desk and then a digital desk, but the analog desk has actually become the iPad desk and I probably spend 90% of my computer working time um, there with the iPad with my like nice big iMac literally like two feet away from me, but just usually not even turned on. I rarely use the iMac anymore. Uh, so that's a huge, huge change. Is it now which, which iMac do you have? I have the 27 inch retina. It's the original one. So it's 2015. I think it's coming on It's three and a half years old now. Sure. 
uh, still runs great. It's got the solid state drive. Um, and you know, I maxed it out. So it's got the 36 gigs of Ram and all the, it was the top of the line. Cause that's kind of how I roll. I usually buy something and just use it until it disintegrates like, like those old VW bugs. Um, so yeah, it's still going great. I'm recording on it right now. Uh, just cause it's easier. I got all the mic stuff set up, but I rarely use it. This might be the only time I use this iMac all week long. So. Yeah. So podcast recording, um, uh, I guess video production maybe, or do you do that? I don't yourself? do any of the video production myself. Uh, my production manager does that. Isaac, uh, does all the video stuff. Um, I will use the iMac for any code. So I still am sort of the unofficial untalented in-house developer for our sites. So if something on the sites breaks or uploading stuff via FTP or just tweaking CSS here and there, um, I will do that on the iMac. Though I could do it on my iPad, like Coda is fantastic, um, but I'm just more comfortable on the iMac. So I like to have uh, like the preview window open next to the code editor so I can see kind of my changes and as I'm working on it and stuff like that. And um, I'll do some layout design. So here's an example. Uh, in January, we hosted a live workshop here in Kansas City for the focus course. It was like a one day kind of workshop. Everyone went through the focus course. And, um, I was in charge of the design for the participant handout as well as uh, my facilitator's guide. So I did that in pages and I did that on the iMac because it's definitely, you know, big page spreads and it's just easier uh, by far to do that kind of design work and layout work on the iMac as opposed to on the iPad. Is that because of the tools or is it just because you have a 27 inch screen versus an uh, 11 or 12 inch screen? For sure, the 27-inch screen is nice, and uh, pages on the iPad kind of sucks uh, for f like detailed layout work. So we had um, I wasn't just typing text; I was kind of you know having tables and um, you know like pieces of text that had boxes around them because it was like a workbook. Like we're going through a class together. Yeah. Uh, where I'd be teaching stuff up front and there was like fill in the blanks within the pages and then sections for people to kind of write their own answers to certain questions. And, and so some of that kind of just the design where you're laying out the, the, the type and, and kind of that, that sort of work is just finicky on the iPad with the touch screen. Whereas on the Mac, you're, uh, I just had a lot more control. Um, I used to do all that stuff in Adobe InDesign. I don't have those apps anymore. Um, so pages still works really great for that on on the mac but on the ipad not not so much and, you know mike schmitz attended that workshop yeah. and he just swears by it he thought it was great uh, we it talked was about so it awesome over, yeah. yeah we talked about that over in focus podcast one of these days i'm going to show up at one of your workshops i i feel like you could give me some help yeah we're uh, planning to uh yeah we got we got more in the in the pipe there there's a lot of fun for sure uh, good and then so so it sounds like you're just mainly doing kind of production type stuff on the mac are you like do you do the day-to-day -day, like calendar email all that nonsense on mac at all at this point no i i i don't do basically the mac is for like the one-off like you said yeah the production stuff um, and almost everything i do day-to-day -day is all on the ipad um, so kind of the main apps that i use there is is basically like Ulysses and Basecamp are sort of what I live in uh, for the most part. And I use the iPad apps for both of those. And just that's where I spend a lot of my time. 
Well, I want to I want to talk yeah. about Basecamp later. We'll we'll, right. we'll we'll get to that later. But, but just uh, so as somebody who does most of his day to day work on iPad, well, I guess what iPad are you using to begin with? So I have the 11 inch iPad Pro, and I, I went and got the 12.9, like pre ordered it because um, I had the 10 and a half inch last generation, right? Yeah. And I loved it, and I was I'm kind of like wanted the bigger screen because. You know, even then I was still using the iPad for the vast majority of my work. And I uh, started doing most of my photo editing on the iPad. I do a lot of reading, um, just everything, like a lot of writing. And I'll, I'll use it as a laptop kind of, you know, I've got it sitting on my desk and I'm typing on it. And so I knew that a, a larger screen, I would benefit from it. But I didn't want the, like the airplane wing of the 12.9, like the previous generation. Yeah. So then when they're on stage and they're talking about the 12.9 and the new one and how it's the same big screen, but in the smaller form factor, and you'll be surprised how, how small it is. It's like, that's it. I'm sold. I want it. So I pre-ordered it and I got it on you know day one when it came out and I just couldn't do it. It was just too much. Um, so I had it for two weeks and I kept wanting to like love it because the screen was so just fantastic. And I just couldn't do it. Like every time I'd go to pick it up, it just felt like it was just a little too big. And I really love to just carry it around and just have it um, and move around the house. And whenever I'm going somewhere, just grabbing it and throwing it on the car seat and whatever. Um, and the 12.9 just always felt just slightly too big to feel comfortable as a portable device. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to return this one. I'll grab the 11 inch and try that for a couple of weeks. And if I don't like the 11, I can go back to the 12.9. And like within the first day, I just knew right away, like this is the right size. Um, so even though the screen's a little bit smaller and and I do miss the size of the screen, for me, the um, the the form like uh, begets the function, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's just a lot easier for me to use. I love it. So that's the, so I, I ended up getting the maxed out one. It's got the, whatever, the one terabyte of storage and the six gigs of RAM just cause I was downgrading from the 12.9. So it was like a sure. wash yeah, to get that one. So how did this, how did this come about? Was it a, a gradual move from the Mac to the iPad? Did that 9.7 inch pro like kick that off? Like how was that process for you making the move? Yeah, that's a great question. It was gradual. Um, I've always been an iPad user. I, I bought the original iPad the first day that it came out. Like I stood in line um, and then just kind of over time, just, you know, used it more or less different things here or there. And then with the 9.7, uh, I don't know, like it just became something about that just made it more usable for me and a little bit more delightful on a regular basis. Uh, so I would start traveling with just it. Like if I was going to WWC or, or a conference or something like that, I would just take the iPad with me. And then, when I upgraded to the 10.5, like it just seeped in and just slowly started taking over more and more of my workflow um, to the point where I basically was almost always working on the iPad. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I was trying to think of like a way to explain it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about this. And the only way I could really think of, of a way to explain the iPad versus the Mac for me is sort of similar to um, like food. Where if you, like, if you're just used, and this is like a gross analogy, just because uh, I would not relate the Mac to a fast food diet, but it sort of <laughs> feels that way. <laughs> it sort of feels that way to me in terms of like, if you have a healthier diet, 
like the food that you used to eat that was just crap junk food is like, that's just, that's not appealing to me at all. Like that's just kind of gross. Um, I would rather have like this healthier food right here. This is far more appealing. And to me, something about iOS and the iPad and sort of the simplicity of it, the, like the slowness of it, uh, you know, you've got one app at a time, maybe you've got one slid over, but you're just kind of like, you're right there. You're just kind of focused on the, the app that you're using um, and just interacting with it. It's just, it's just more simple. It's just a little bit slower. And something about that to me is more appealing versus the Mac just feels now like almost overwhelming. Like there's so many windows open. Like right now I've got, I got five windows open to be recording this podcast. And I would say that's like, you know, that's a minimal little UI right here. Uh, And just, there's so much that's happening on the Mac and something about that to me just feels like gross now in, in a way. Um, and like, I'm just not attracted to it the way that I used to be. I'm, I'm just far more drawn to iOS and using the iPad and just the simplicity of that. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, I like it more. You know, there's, a, there's a couple things there. Uh, I, I think people are organically fighting themselves, getting more work done on the iPad. It's it's no longer kind of the stunt thing. You know, for the longest time, it was the, a thing tech writers did. You know, can mm-hmm. I get by on an iPad? Whereas people who don't make their living talking about this stuff are now picking up iPads and finding it increasingly uh, there's things they can do on them that before they would do on their Macs. And, and I do think that delight of working on iPad and simplicity plays a role. I mean, just last week I had like a two hour time suck because my Mac, uh, you know, the documents folder decided to vanish on me. We talked about it at the live show, but it's like when I was trying to get the right terminal commands and, you know, throw salt over my shoulder to, to get it fixed. One thing that did go through my mind is like, you know, I've never had this kind of problem with an iPad, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And while I do understand there are friction points and there are things that it still can't do. And, and I, I whine and moan about that too much on the show, frankly. But the uh, in terms of just once you have a workflow, it just always works. And, and I think that's something special. The other point I'd make is just as an observer of Sean over the years and reading the stuff you write and following what you do, as I know that you've become in a lot of ways a manager. You have people that work for you. You were just talking earlier how you have somebody else doing your video. I do think that as you get out of the nitty gritty with the production stuff, it makes it a lot easier to really adopt kind of an iPad workflow. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I don't, I don't even pretend to, to, um, to think that the work that I do is, uh, like, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not jumping through hoops to work on the iPad. It's like, I'm writing, <laughs> you know, words and I'm like messaging people in, in base camp. Like there's not a lot of, uh, you know, super high technical, uh, app requirements for the work that I do that I use the iPad for. Um, so yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely well suited for the work that I'm doing and I'm thankful for that. I'm happy. Like, I'm like, sweet works for me. And then it's great. We had a guest on the show back on episode 352. It was Ian Bird, who's an educator. Mm-hmm. And he made an observation about the iPad that has always stuck with me. You know, he said he started kind of just using the iPad more intentionally. And the thing he did was he recognized whenever he hit a limit of something he couldn't do on his iPad, he asked himself if that was work he actually needed to do. And so it was a great kind of trigger for him to start offloading work, you know where he realized that the stuff he was doing on his Mac 
often was kind of labor-intensive grunt work that he frankly didn't need to do himself. He could hire someone to handle for him. And um, I, I like that idea. I mean, I know that doesn't apply to everybody, but it is an interesting way to think about this problem. No, I love that. And I mean, there's so much you could get into regarding the management stuff and delegation and leadership, um, on, on, even on that track. So I, I love it. Last, last bit on the iPad. Okay, yeah. so the size. I bought the big one, and I was mm-hmm. super happy with it. And then last a few days ago, as we're recording this, I'm sitting next to Mike Hurley in a hotel. And he's got the smaller one, and I'm looking at him sideways with this smaller iPad, thinking how much easier it must be to travel with that smaller iPad. And he's getting the same work I'm done getting done on my my bigger iPad. And you know, you know, damn it, Hurley. <laughs> you know. Then I got in the airplane, and then of course the person be in front of me, like you know, reclines, and I'm trying to get my 12.9 inch to fit in between. You guys, you guys suck. That's all I'm going to say. Hey, you know, you could go back to the multi-pad lifestyle. I mean, that's a a solution that seems, you know, I'm not going to do that, but, you know, I'm not going to judge. You totally could do it. And it it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that hard because everything just sinks now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Mike does it. Federico does it. I mean, people are out there, but uh, it's not for me. Yeah, well, we we also did a college trip in Chicago, so I'm not really eager to spend extra money right now. Yeah, but, yeah. That's yeah. good. <laughs> uh, I do think maybe when the next iPad revision comes out, I will keep the 12.9. Mm. Usually I sell the old one and buy a right. new one. I, I may keep the old one and buy the new smaller one next time they come out because I, I do think um, I can see why you guys like that smaller one. And and when you get your hands on it and or see someone using it, it's it's really not that much smaller. The problem with multi-pad lifestyle is is stickers, right? Like you've got to now buy twice as many stickers. Oh, yeah. That's right. true. That's a good point. Now, now, do you put stickers on the iPad or do you put them on the case? I've got a few on the case just for fun. I'll give it a shot. Like Jump back to when I was in high school and I had stickers on everything. Yeah, I'm going in for the stickers these days too. Steven, you're not a sticker guy, right? Uh, I've got like one on my laptop and one on my iPad, but that's... That's it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a multi-sticker person. Yeah. I, I, I admired it. Steven's got a big St. Jude sticker on his, his Mac. It looks pretty nice, actually. It's actually a bumper sticker. It's the smallest thing they had at the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by OmniFocus 3 from the Omni Group. I've heard a lot from listeners that are loving the new OmniFocus 3 features. I do, too. The new version features a unique design that makes smart, useful changes without making changes for the sake of change itself. Moreover, they've added several useful features to the application, my favorite of which is tags. Adding tags to OmniFocus gives you the ability to have multiple vectors to get into your OmniFocus database and find exactly what you need precisely when you need it. I really like it. I've been experimenting with them, and I've got a bunch of tags that help me get through my day. They can manage big things, but they can also help you manage small things, too. Lately, I've been tagging tasks related to bill payment with the additional bills tag. Imagine me doing that in air quote, bills. Anyway, uh, then when I sit down to pay bills, I can just press one button in OmniFocus and get a list of all the bills I need to pay. I use OmniFocus every day to keep my life together. There's no way I could run the law practice, the video business, the three podcasts, and be a dad without powerful tools that OmniFocus gives me. So why not check it out for yourself? Head over to the OmniFocus website and download their free trial. 
make sure to let them know you heard about it over here at the Mac Power Users and start getting your act together today with OmniFocus. Thank you, Omni Group, for all of your support. So, Sean, uh, we've alluded to this a little bit, but you are not uh, a solo practitioner on the Internet. You've got uh, a staff there in Kansas City with you helping you produce all this content uh, that you all put out. Um, and, and I'm curious of how that's gone. You know, how big is the Blanc Media team and and how do you sort of decide when it's time to bring someone else on, like divide up responsibilities? What's that process been like? Oh, man. So, yeah, this is this is sort of my my world now. I've kind of uh, just transitioned to thinking a lot more about, like you say, like uh, building a team, running a team well, honoring people, um, empowering them things like that. So here in Kansas City, uh, I've got two employees, um, Isaac, who is our production manager. He's been with me for about three and a half years now almost. And then um, I just brought on uh, another girl, Joanna, and she's an office uh, assistant. She takes care of all of um, administrative stuff. She's also an event coordinator. So that's why we're able to do our live event in January. Like she just does stuff like that in her sleep. Um so she's been fantastic addition. And then we have a bunch of contractors that are kind of on retainer and they're all remote. Uh, so we've got Josh and Jeff and Chris, uh, we're working a lot with, uh, Rose Orchard now is, is contributing regularly to the website, which is awesome. Um, Aaron Brooks is doing a lot of photography writing for us. Uh, Matthew Casanelli is, is doing a lot of shortcut stuff. So it's kind of fun to have these, these people that are sort of experts, in, in what they do, um, you know, like Mike Schmitz is helping us with a lot of the screencast recording. He's just a very talented screencast guy. And so for me, um, kind of my approach has been as the work that we do in terms of uh, the business, right? Like, so the suite setup, it's a website, but it's also, it's a business. And so I, I try to think of it um, in terms of like, what does it need to be able to like be profitable and sustainable and thrive and, and things like that. And, um, so as we grow and expand and kind of just mature, like for me, what I'll do is I'll sort of step into the, the role of whatever it is that we're going to do, um, at the beginning and I'll kind of fill that role and I'll serve in that capacity and kind of lead, manage and, and do the work and sort of just get a feel for like what's required here. And, um, and then also it's a chance to see like, is this new work that we're producing or this new, um, you know, systems or whatever it is that we're now incorporating in into the way that we do business and the way that we get stuff out the door. Is this helpful? Is it working? Is it profitable? Is it sustainable? And if it's like, yeah, this is good. I like doing this. Let's keep doing this. Then I say, okay, how can I now begin to delegate and offload this work that I'm doing? And how can we get this part of the business to be profitable enough to be able to afford paying someone else to, to do that work? Um, which is awesome because then now you're, you know, you're providing jobs for somebody else. You're able to bring someone onto the team that's, that's able to do work. Um, so this is kind of how like the suite setup first started, you know, back when Steven was helping us, I was sort of working as editor in chief. And then like, we quickly realized that I was a terrible editor in chief because everything <laughs> would just get stuck like at my, uh, inbox, you know, and I was this huge bottleneck because I was also the ad manager. Um, I was also, uh, building other websites and doing other stuff. So, uh, Steven stepped in, became editor in chief. And I just was kind of like, Hey, here's what I was doing. Like you do it. 
And, uh, you know, just, he just blew things up in a good way. And really it was, it's cool to be able to say like, oh, other people have good ideas also. And other people can (laughs) do good work also. And I know for me, and I would imagine a lot of other like indie creative folks, there's this mindset that says like, I know best. I'm the only one that cares, um, as much as I do. And no one else cares as much as me. No one else knows as much as me. No one else has the same um, attention to detail or quality or whatever. And honestly, that's just a mindset that's like, it's just wrong. It's just a, a, a flawed mindset. Um, other people will have different opinions and other people might care in a different capacity, but, uh, so many other people have so many great ideas and just allowing them to, uh, to, to just, you know, do their thing and give them that, that space. So that's been a huge learning curve for me over the years and continues to be, um, so I don't even know where I'm going with this, but basically my big thing with building the team has been, uh, trying to decide the direction we want to go with the website and what's going to work well, what's the best way to serve our audience as well as, uh, maintain profitability for the business. And what are the systems we need in place? Like, and the people that can help us make that happen, um, in a way that's fun and efficient and, uh, doesn't require me to be a micromanager and can really just empower, the people that are doing the work um, you know, for, for so many people listening, you know, they may be working in a big company or a medium sized company where you don't have management that is looking for systems. And the word you used was fun, you know, um, looking for ways to manage a team and keep everybody on task, but also not make it tedious. Um, what are the types of systems that you've found that work, you know, can satisfy that for your team? I think, so in terms of just overall, like culture wise, so you got cultural systems, so to speak, uh, that kind of help dictate like values and, and the, the relationship dynamics and things within the team. And then you've got your, your practical like workflows and systems and operating procedures and stuff like that. Um, so kind of on the cultural side, uh, a huge one for me has just been making sure that people feel like valued, that the work that they're doing matters, um, that they have you know, they, they are contributing, that they have something to contribute. And so for me, a lot of that has been like learning to listen, learning to be clear about expectations as well. And so and at the beginning, you know, of, of a new project or a new structure or even a new business model, like we, you know, David, you mentioned we do these uh, training courses. It's relatively new for us. We're um, about a year and a half into these uh, training courses and we're still kind of figuring it out as we go. And so we've been building this model for it, but at the beginning it was like, okay, well let's see how this works. So here's kind of my initial definition of success and here's what I want to see happen and trying to be very clear with the direction that we're going. And, um, that allows people to say, okay, like these are the boundaries that I need to work within. And this is sort of the desired outcome. And then giving people like freedom to run in the midst of that and kind of do their own thing. Uh, within those boundaries unto that desired outcome. So that's kind of one in terms of the cultural stuff. Uh, in terms of practical workflows, we do everything in Basecamp. I'm a huge fan of Basecamp. Uh, we used to be Slack and um, I got rid of Slack. We don't do Dropbox. We don't do email. It's all in Basecamp. And what I've liked about that is, A, there's the simplicity. There's a vibe to Basecamp that sort of I feel mimics the same vibe that draws me to iOS in terms of there's just, it's kind of just all right here, simple, like easy to access. So all of our file sharing, all of our communication, 
all of our projects, uh, just everything exists in Basecamp. Yeah, I okay. So I went through an experience with Basecamp over the last several months. Um, I agree with you. The simplicity of that interface is, I think, one of its big selling points. Um, I was trying to use it in a different context. So I went ahead and got an account. And the mistake I made was I, I did the 30-day trial with some of my more advanced clients. And um, the idea for me, and this is kind of an interesting uh, app, uh, application or use. I, uh, I have all these clients and often they have uh, an acquisition or a big contract or some project they're working on. And what I find is two or three years later, they may want some details on that or some access to that process. And what we've got is, you know, a series of saved documents in a Dropbox folder, maybe um, uh, some emails stretched out over weeks or months. But we don't just really have like a depository of discussion about it. And then you add to that that they maybe want to start sending you text messages. And all of a sudden, you've got all this data all over the place. And the problem I was trying to solve was give us a single place to have each project but I also wanted to keep one as it's each project as its own little, you know, microcosm that I didn't want client A to see the stuff for client B or even to know that they had projects, you know, and Basecamp solves all of these problems because it gives you the ability when you get an unlimited account, which is really their only model, you can have an unlimited number of projects and invite clients into as many as you want. Um, and and it's just a great way. Like the email forward is, is really great. You get a simple email address and then you can save that to your address book and blind copy to every email on the project and it gets added. The problem I had was I could not get clients to buy in on this thing. I've spent the last three months and just last week I finally surrendered. <laughs> but but it works for everything except you got to get buy-in but i guess the difference is what you're using it for is it's your team so everybody that gets on the team by definition gets real with Basecamp. yeah it's been great for us and you know david like you were saying having that um jason freed they call it the central source of truth right so for every project or every document or every decision, it's like instead of it being spread out across text messages, da, 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 it's it's right there. It's in Basecamp. Um, and so that's been really valuable for us. And I also just like, um, you know, I don't do very much work in email anymore and I don't use Slack at all. And so for me, um, my whole approach towards the the culture stuff and the workflows and the systems and everything we're doing as I'm trying to make decisions about the way we run the business today that are like in alignment with the sort of business that I want to be working in, in 20 years from now. Um, a friend of mine, Jocelyn K. Gly, she talks about this uh, thing that she'll do when she goes to speak at a place, she'll ask, you know, everyone in the room, she's like, you know, who here feels like, uh, you know, they're, they're really busy and they're working really hard. Everyone, you know, raise your hand if, 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 you, if that's you. And, you know, like 90% of the room raises their hand and she goes, okay, now, Considering the the pace and the intensity at which you are working today, who feels like they would want to continue in that same pace and intensity for the next 20 years? Keep your hand up. And, you know, like almost all the hands go down. Like no one is working. Everyone's working really hard, really intense, really busy right now. And it's also that maybe hopefully later we won't be working really hard and really intense. And my whole mindset has been like, well, 
I have no idea when later is going to get here. And for the first several years of me being an indie, uh, you know, blogger and for a long time it was just me. And then, uh, you know, I had the smaller team, but I was still managing quite a bit myself and I was just doing more work than I needed to be doing and just taking on more active projects at a time than I needed. And I was like, this isn't, you know, I don't want to do this for 20 more years. And so really trying to slow down and say, like, what is the pace of work? What's the intensity of work that I would want in 20 years? And can I have it now? Can I do it today? And can I, you know, what are the trade-offs that are going to require me to do that? Um, and what are the things that I need to focus on to, to be able to make it sustainable and profitable so that I can still actually run a business that that pays everybody and pays the bills and keeps the lights on while also having a business that is you know, calm and is focused and is, uh, respecting of people's time and their attention. Um, not just the audience's time and attention, but my own team's time and attention, right? Like my time and attention. Um, so that's a huge, like Basecamp, they, their philosophy as a company is very in alignment with that. So like that's helpful. And then just their software obviously is sort of a manifestation of that. So it works really well for us, uh, as well. So anyways, you know, I, I totally agree. And I, I don't, I don't want uh, people to come away from my experience with it as a, um, as a diss on Basecamp, because actually I've got, you know, I've got like six months left of it. I'm going to be implementing it with the people on my team and see how we do with it in that context. But uh, as a client solution, it just really didn't work for me. And the lesson for me is clients don't want to do anything um, you know, anytime you give clients something that adds friction, requires them to go log into a website or something, um, it just, they're just not going to buy in and you have to find a solution to fix that on your end where they don't maybe even know it exists, but you still get that additional, uh, solution you need. I mean, for me, it's turning into, you know, a lot of emails being saved as PDFs and doing some automation stuff to, um, to make that easy and kind of package things together. And, um, you know, it just didn't work in that context. But I mean, when I hear the story that you guys do, and also just having now used Basecamp quite a bit, I really like the accessibility of the way they built that service. I mean, they could have made it very nerdy, but they made it very human. And I, I guess that's the only way to, to summarize it. Yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree. And I'd also add Jocelyn Glyo has been on Mac Power Users. If you go back to episode 423, um, uh, I'm a big fan of hers as well and really enjoyed talking to her. Oh, awesome. Yeah, she's super great. So, Sean, without a tool like Slack, how, does the team have a, a method for like real-time communication? I know Basecamp has some of that. Do you guys fall back to iMessage if something crazy is going on? Or like, does Basecamp give you enough to, to handle any sort of... Um, high stress situation. Yeah. So, uh, we have very, very few high stress situations. Um, so all of the real time communication still happens in base camp, but one of the things we have tried to move away from is the necessity of real time communication. Uh, and yes, you know, even you probably remember like when the sweet set at first launched, we would have a new review, like coming out on Tuesday morning of, you know, whatever, like the best calendar app or whatever. Uh, and it'd be Monday night and me and Steven and, and Jeff, we're all on iMessage, like frantically, like, okay, who has the latest version of the file <laughs> and where's this? And okay, can you edit this? I'm going to text this to you or I'm okay. I put it in Dropbox or I'm, you know, and like, we're just kind of crazy at the last minute, getting the article ready to, to be published the next day. And you know, who's doing the hero photography and all that stuff. And over time, like mm -hmm. we got a lot better at that, especially thanks to Steven. 
and all that stuff would be handled like way in advance. And then we had this lead times. And so things were just a much more calm pace of production. Um, and so trying to maintain that as well is, is a huge one for us. Um, so with, with base camp, we, they have, they call it like a campfire where you can jump in and there's group chats based on project. There's group chats based on teams. So we have a team for the suite setup and, you know, interesting links and, and stuff like, so people can jump in and share stuff there. And, uh, like Rosemary, like recently shared, she got the new, um, the thing that goes, the hyperdrive thing that goes on the, the iPad, I forget what it's called. Maybe it's called the hyperdrive, but it's not anyways. Yeah, I think that's it, and, but it has all the <laughs> ports. Right. And so she was like posting some pictures and her initial thoughts and just sharing in the, in the, that campfire thread, uh, which is cool. And, and stuff like that. Um, when there's an emergency, you can ping someone, which is sort of like a DM through Basecamp, And I have my phone set to notify me anytime I get a, a DM, like a message like that, a ping. Um, and then for, uh, for my team, like I kind of like Basecamp is where work happens. So for us, like I get messages during working hours through Basecamp, And then if it's, so if it's related to work and it's not like this urgent thing, but you want to like ping me directly, like it's in Basecamp, that's great. I get to it when I get to it. Um, and then if it's something that's like very time sensitive or outside of work hours or anything like that, like everyone knows just, Hey, shoot me an iMessage, like no problem. So from time to time, uh, will I message, uh, if it's necessary, like when we were doing the live event, uh, here in Kansas city, like Isaac and Joanne and I, a lot of that was just managed through iMessage. Cause we're like, we're downtown we're we're doing this stuff right there. Uh, but for the most part, everything stays in base camp. Well, well, I'm I'm impressed with that whole service. And like you, I also, one of the reasons why I wanted to use them um, was because I really respect the way they run their company. And I just kind of want to be part of that movement as well. Um, People, when I was looking into it, I looked at some other services. Asana was one of the ones I looked at. And they all look kind of nerdy for me. And I'm thinking, well, legal clients, are they need something that is fairly um, easy to use. And, and ba- I don't want to say basic, but it you know it is easy to get your arms wrapped around all of the features. And, uh, and Basecamp really scratches that itch, I think. Yeah, it's been great. I love using it. Um, and like you said, everyone that joins the team, it's just kind of like, here you go. Here's your Basecamp account. Um, so all of our contractors that, you know, we work with, like they all have, you know, they're just part of the team in Basecamp. Um, so they can, they're kind of privy to everything that's going on and, and can contribute and, and chime in. And so it's a cool way as well. Like when I'm working on an idea, uh, or whatever, I can just post a message to everybody and say, Hey guys, like, even though you're sort of on retainer, I still view you as part of the family and I, you know, what's your opinion on this and, and, and feel free to provide feedback. And so it allows, uh, for even visibility of doing the work with other people, which I really enjoy and just kind of inviting them into the, um, you know, just the hustle and bustle of the day to day, what we're doing. And they're, they're just kind of privy to, to what's going on. And I think that that adds to the, just the camaraderie and it raises the overall just quality of work that's being produced. Cause we're kind of in tune with what other people are working on. And I think that's valuable. So. And then last question on, on Basecamp. if someone is listening and they're maybe using Slack or some other uh, communication tool like Slack, um, where do you see the differences between that and something like Basecamp? One thing I uh, didn't like about Slack was that I, I, 
I felt like I always needed to catch up every time I opened it. Okay, what's happening in Slack? And so Slack to me was sort of like Twitter, but with important things. And so like I'm always like, what's happening in Slack? What's going on? What did I miss? And there's it was there's just like a that low level hum of anxiety related to using it. Um, whereas with Basecamp, I never feel like I'm missing anything um, because I can get you know pinged about something, and then there's a they kind of, um, the way it works when you open up Basecamp, they have, it's called the Hey tab. And this is sort of everything that's relevant to me and for me is right there in the Hey tab. So I can just open it up. And if other people are working on stuff somewhere else, like I don't have to see that. I don't have to scroll through their messages to catch up or whatever. I see like, okay, someone pinged me. I can jump into that thread or that message or that file or that conversation um, or, you know, someone assigned it to do to me or whatever. And I can see it all right there and it's very digestible and it's not overwhelming at all. So using Basecamp has never felt stressful or anxious to me. Uh, whereas with Slack, it, it often did. It felt like there was too much. I couldn't keep up. And I'm like, I don't want to be in that mindset, especially if I'm the boss. Like, I don't want to be there. Like, you know, I don't want expect other people to be there either. So, um, so we got off of Slack and, and have just put everything on Basecamp and, and really happy. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at 1Password. We live in a complicated age. We have countless online accounts from social media all the way up to online banking. And each one of those accounts needs to have a secure, unique password to keep us safe. That's where 1Password comes in. It can create strong, unique passwords. And the best part is... You don't have to remember them because they're all stored in 1Password on all your devices. With 1Password for Families, you can share this login information with the important people in your life. And with 1Password for Teams, you can create vaults for different coworkers managing access to critical information with fine-grained controlled. Of course, 1Password works across a wide range of browsers. On the desktop, a simple shortcut of command plus backslash opens it in the browser with the correct login selected and ready to be filled. AgileBit stays on top of the newest features, meaning 1Password on iOS uses Face ID to let you quickly unlock your vault. It even integrates with autofill passwords so you can log in right from the standard iOS keyboard. That's great because staying secure shouldn't slow you down. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. And when you do sign up, you'll get 20% off your account. That's onepasswordcom MPU. So, Sean, you know, we talk about OmniFocus a lot on the show. I am a big fan. I've been using it for years, and, uh, and Steven uses it as well. And I feel like we, we don't give um, a fair shake to things. And things is the other big uh, task manager out there. I mean, and, and I've got my reasons for using OmniFocus. I know Steven does as well. But uh, I know that you're a very uh, active proponent of things. And I, I wanted to give uh, our listeners a chance to hear from someone who uses it every day. And like, I know you guys even have done a video series on things uh, over at Sweet Setup. So I know you know the app really well. Um, so tell us a little bit about how things is these days and, you know, what you like and dislike about it. It's been a year, two years now since Things 3 came out. I think it's been two years now. So when they were doing the beta for Things 3, um, at that time, I was using Todoist. So I was an um, I was originally a Things user way back in the day, and then I switched to OmniFocus because I needed over-the-air sync, and Things didn't yet have it. 
Um, and then it just felt like for years and years and years, the the developers at Cultured Code, it was like things was just slow to be developed and kind of moved forward. And so I was a, a longtime OmniFocus user and um, eventually just kind of, I was like, it's just too much for me. I just don't need that much uh, task management horsepower anymore. I don't need that much fiddly ability. Um, for a long time I did, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I think OmniFocus is an incredible app for sure, but it was just, it was more than I needed. And so I switched over to, to Doist for a while, but it was a, like a web app. I wasn't huge fan of it and it just never quite clicked for me. Um, so I, I jumped on the things three beta and just like instantly fell in love with it. And it just was like, ah, oh, like, ah, oh, it was, you know, it was like whatever, like Goldilocks, you know, like this one's too hot. This one's too cold. Ah, this one's just right. And, uh, so that was a couple of years ago and just watching cultured code of over that first kind of year of development. Cause it was like, okay, you know, I've kind of been here before where you guys come out with something cool and then like radio silence for like 12 years. And the rest of us are wondering what's going on. So I was a little hesitant and definitely um, not cynical, but just like, hey, I, you know, I've been down this road before. Let's see where it goes. And watching them consistently improve the app and make updates, adding things like you now have repeating tasks in projects, uh, which you used to not be able to have. Um, or is it the other way around? That was like your big thing. Steve. Yeah, uh, I still have um, some some issues with the repeating tasks, but it, for a long time, yeah. that was like a separate section of the UI as opposed to being in line with your non-repeating tasks. And you can't like, you can't check off a repeating task early right now. So, uh, which is, yeah. which is odd. Uh, it's like, I have a repeating task to do my weekly review and, um, it repeats on Sundays. But if I, for some reason want to do the weekly review on Saturday, it's like, you can't, or you can do it. And then Too you got to wait a day to, to check it off. But, um, so there's, there is some finicky stuff, but just watching them like bring keyboard shortcuts to the iPad. And they recently like came out with dark mode a little while ago. Um, I'm just, I've just really grown to, to really love the app and, uh, there's always been a playfulness to it. And, um, I'm, I kind of have always had that affinity towards apps that are well-designed and just look just beautiful. Um, OmniFocus never, I mean, it, it's, it's, it is attractive, but I would not say it is as attractive as things is. And for me, that's, that's definitely a huge, uh, selling point. So anyways, I definitely became a huge fan for things. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I did the same thing. I went to things for a month when they came out with a new version just at C and uh, the, it's kind of the power in tools and stuff I need because I'm doing like a whole bunch of different things. I'm not, I haven't got as far along the path as you in terms of, uh, putting stuff on other, you know, uh, into the management role. I'm, I feel like I'm the one digging a lot of ditches lately. So I actually need it in the, the review stuff, but I, I do think it's a, it's a gorgeous app and I think it's, a, it's a worthy contender. I mean, people write me and they say, well, I like things. I'm like, I think that's great because whatever helps you get your work done is the right tool. Yeah. So for me, what's interesting though, is, um, I actually don't live inside of things in terms of my task list. Sure. So I kind of have this, I call it like a hybrid approach where I actually also do quite a bit of my task management uh, with a physical pen and and paper. And I've done this for quite a while, like five or six years now. And so I do something kind of similar to, uh, it's like James Clear calls it the Ivy Lee method. And it's this guy, Ivy Lee, uh, who was a consultant, like a business uh, consultant. 
And he had this structure for how you write out your task list where you basically start the day and it's like write out the uh, you know three to five most important things that you need to get done today and then work on those. And then at the end of the day, everything you didn't get done, either like delete it, then like cross it off, you're not going to do it, or transfer it to tomorrow's new list and then add uh, you know, as many items as you need for tomorrow to, until you've got three to, to five or six at the most for tomorrow. And it's just kind of this rotating list of tasks. And it's kind of similar if you guys are familiar at all with bullet journal stuff, there's a similar uh, foundation um, to the Ivy Lee method in, in bullet journaling as well. And I found that that has worked really, really well for me of actually the analog approach. So what I do with things is that's where I keep all of like the repeating tasks anything that's time sensitive and anything that's like digitally based. So I get an email that I need to follow up on. I'll toss the email into things as a to-do item. Uh, but I have things in in there such as um, like when to uh, renew my business license and when to file certain forms, pay certain quarterly taxes. Um, a lot of stuff I guess could be in a calendar by like having it in things. Um, you know, when like I have a task for, changing the air filter on my home's like furnace. And it's every, uh, we do it every 90 days. And it's like, once I change it, then I tap that I've completed that. And then it's like now 90 days from today is when it'll be due again. Um, so stuff like that, I keep in things, but for my day to day, just getting work done, it actually all exists in my notebook. And that's kind of like the, the stuff that I'm working on right now. I, I have actually written down in a physical like piece of paper task list with kind of my schedule for when I'm going to work on certain tasks in certain areas. That bullet journaling thing. I mean, really, I, I was doing what they used to call Franklin planners and then it was Franklin Covey planners, like, I don't know, 25 years ago. And, and they were it was like, like a hundred years ago. I thought. It feels like it, doesn't <laughs> it? But I, I remember my office, I used to have these binders full of, you know, old days and, and it was the same thing you copy forward. Um, but I guess just for me, the, the trouble with that is my life isn't, I haven't got it to a point where five or six things is manageable for me. There's just too much going on. You know, I'm running basically two different businesses. Um, so I just need more yeah. power. That's what it comes down to. But but I, I do uh, know we have a lot of listeners that are, are exploring these analog alternatives. We even talked about that on the last episode as well. And um, I think it makes sense. I, I do think you can get lost in the weeds with these things. If you suddenly find yourself spending more time planning than doing, then you've got a planning system that needs to be severely revised. And um, sounds to me like you found your place. The, the other thing I wanted to ask is not to keep going back to, uh, to, to Basecamp, but there's task lists in Basecamp too. Do you, is that also part of your workflow or do you keep that stuff out of Basecamp? It is a little bit. So I will, um, from time to time, I will get assigned a task. So uh, maybe Isaac on my team, he does all of our production stuff. So, uh, we, you know, we have a whole structure for how we build and launch a new training course on the suite setup. we got a whole approach to that. And some of the things that are part of that are like, they're dependent on me doing something like I have to write such and such an email, uh, to announce it or a blog post, or I have to work on sales copy or, you know, I have to determine certain uh, elements about the course and things like that. So those are to do items that will get assigned to me. Um, and then I'll go into Basecamp. I'll see those and then I can work on them. And once I've done, I, I can check them off in Basecamp. Uh, but I don't use Basecamp personally to manage my own to do items. So what I do is at the beginning of the week, like on Sundays, um, I'll sit down, I'll open up things 
um, which is really cool because they've got this upcoming view, which I just adore. And it shows like all the tasks that are upcoming over the next coming days, um, but also it pulls in the calendar view. So I can see uh, what's on my calendar as well as what's due, if there's anything due within things in the next coming days. Um, and so I can do that. And then I look in Basecamp to see if there's any tasks that are assigned to me that are upcoming. Um, and then I'll use that sort of those views to then sort of plan out my week. And then I plan my week out actually in the notebook itself. So I kind of have a, a little template that I draw out, um, it takes a couple minutes and then sort of say, okay, this week's like, you know, I do the most important three, like these big three things. And I kind of sign like a theme, for the week, I'm like, okay, this week, based on what my goals are and the things that are due, what's like the, what mindset do I need to be in, you know, for this week? And so for me, like I've actually got quite a few Skype calls this week, a little more than normal. Uh, so my theme for this week, you know, is, is to, to show up for my meetings and be present and prepared. And so that's kind of like for me, top of mind during the week uh, is that sort of mindset. So I kind of plan that stuff out using things in Basecamp. Um, but when I create my own to do's and the things that I'm going to do, um, I don't create them inside of Basecamp. Do you do anything with those notebooks once they're filled up? Do they go, they get scanned? Do you archive them? Or like Mike Curley said last week, do you, do you just shred the past and move on? I keep them. And that's one thing I love about them is the ability to go back. So my notebooks don't just have like my daily tasks and my my schedule for the day. Um, at the very beginning of my notebook, I set aside a small section where um, each day I write down like one thing that was the highlight of my day, uh, just like one little sentence. And then I've got some kind of daily habit trackers in there as well for like my workout routine. Um, I'm, I'm trying to read at least one page of, of a non- fiction business book every single day, uh, which is something that I'm trying to get back into. So I'm like tracking that, um, in the evenings I've started putting my phone on do not disturb during our evening family time from like five to seven 30. So I'm tracking, like, did I do that? Did I put my phone on do not disturb and did I stick it in the other room or not? Um, so these little things I'm kind of tracking, uh, as well as I kind of have these themes for the week, which are cool. And then if I come across a cool quote or something that I'm interested in, or if I'm on a call with somebody, I'm writing notes about the calls. I'm also making notes in my notebook as well. There's a lot of just life stuff that, that gets jotted down in there that just kind of helps, um, just helps me process it and think about it and, and capture it. So a lot of that happens in the notebook. Um, so I keep them cause I love to be able to look back and just reference that, um, and things like that. And then I'll also make notes about like different notebooks and what's in them, but I don't do, I don't scan them or anything like that. Um, that might be cool, but I haven't, I haven't gotten quite that nerdy yet. If I do, Steven, I'll just actually send them over to your place. And yeah, yeah, I do scan you know, mine. You, you've got it. Uh, and I keep, you them. got it going. So there's something just about having them sitting on the shelf. I don't know. It's just cool. So yeah, it's fun. I don't know. I've got like eight of them so far. I've been doing it since like 2000. 13, 2012. Um, so I go through about one a year. So, yeah, there's something about the analog. I mean, I, I'm trying to find the balance between the two right now, because I also find with the iPad, the digital is nice too, but you're right. I, I don't think I could give up having the notebooks entirely. Yeah, it's fun. And I like, you know, and, and similar with iOS, like you were saying, there's something about it just, it slows you down. And the analog stuff, it 
can be wildly inefficient if you just look at it from a purely like functional like perspective of like, wow, it just takes me longer to write this by hand than it does to type it in real quick. And there's no keyboard shortcut to like quick capture this or whatever. But the inefficiency I feel actually leads to a efficiency in the bigger picture. So it's inefficient in the moment, but that's actually the point. And it forces me to kind of slow down. It forces me to sort of be decisive. And for me, I'm like, I spend so much time staring at a screen all the time that I'm like, I want more excuses not to stare at a screen. And if I can incorporate a a piece of paper and a pen into part of my work and it can help me be productive and there's not a significant trade-off, that's awesome because now there's something that's not digital, whereas so much of my life is digital and screens and um, being able to kind of decouple from that uh, whenever possible is is valuable because now there's one less reason to pick up my phone, one less reason to pick up my iPad as opposed to having the notebook. So I, I find a lot of value in that aspect of it as well, for sure. And, you know, when you say it's slower, sometimes that is a benefit. For instance, I have a practice that I may have picked up from you, but I, I have a scheduled time on Sunday afternoon where I kind of chart out the week. And that's where I have my list of a small list of things that are important in the various categories of my life. I want to get done in the next week and forcing myself to draw lines in a little notebook and kind of think about it, um, I think actually helps me do a bit of a more mindful job of, of giving myself realistic expectations for the week. Whereas I think if I did that with just a, you know, a, a text expander snippet, I think I'd probably not give it the, you know, the brain time it needs to be useful. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Totally agree. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Luna Display. They're the makers of the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. That means you have a second display that's super portable with basically zero lag and gorgeous image quality. I've been using Luna Display for quite a while, and I just love that I can turn my big 12.9-inch iPad Pro into a second display for my laptop or my iMac Pro, which is a little piece of hardware. And it's not fiddly like some extra screen stuff can be. You just plug in that little dongle to your Mac and you're good to go. Plus, everything works over Wi-Fi. But if you're on the road without that, no worries. You can just connect with USB. Loon Display acts as a complete extension to your Mac. It supports external keyboards as well as the Apple Pencil and touch interactions. It basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device. And Luna Display's all-new Liquid Video Engine brings significantly reduced latency with a faster screen refresh rate. Listeners and Mac Power users can get a 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code POWER at checkout. That's L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com and promo code POWER at checkout. So go check it out and upgrade your setup. Go to lunadisplay.com and again use the promo code POWER to get 10% off. Our thanks to Loon Display for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Sean, I want to talk some about this blog post you wrote at the end of February. Uh, so, you spent the month with no Twitter and no Instagram on your phone. Uh, and I, I love that your second paragraph is 28 days was no heroic feat at all, um, but it was enlightening. And I think a lot of us struggle with how much time we spend 
you know, on these platforms and these apps. I have definitely taken breaks, and uh, but I don't think I've ever done as hardcore as as you have. And I'm really curious to how how you decided to do this. You know, what went into it, and and what you think you learned. It was awesome. Um, so yeah, we're now into March, and I continued to not. Uh, um, I have not installed the the Twitter app or um, Instagram app back onto my phone yet. And I don't plan to, at least at least for March. And I, I may not ever at this point. Um, and then I'm actually taking it up a notch and um, signing out from email on my phone as well. Because I noticed then that during February, when I would like just have this compulsion to like check my phone for something, it's like, well, I don't have Twitter or Instagram there. Um, and I should also be clear, some people are like, well, why didn't you uh, delete Facebook? I actually don't have a Facebook account, so that's why um, it never was there to begin with. Um, so anyways, when I would go to pick up my phone to check social media and I couldn't, then I would check my email instead. And for me, like, I'm just trying to get away from that. Um, just the, like, filling the moment, like the downtime moments. And I've always thought about it and tried to be intentional, but I was like, I just want, like, more control of that time. I want more of that time back. And, uh, so anyways, so, yeah, no social media now, now no email as well on the phone. And I didn't like remove social media from my life. Um, I would still check Twitter, uh, from my iPad from time to time, uh, like maybe once a day. And that was just a much more like just less checking in. And then I wouldn't try to scroll the whole timeline. I would just kind of like see what was there at the top. And if there were any uh, people that had uh, messaged me or like, you know, uh, at replied to me, I could kind of dialogue with those people and then some, you know, private uh, DMS as well. And it was fine. It was great. And I felt like I was actually having just, you know, normal conversation. I wasn't missing out on anything on Twitter and I wasn't thinking about, it wasn't part of my day-to-day life anymore. And that was actually really pleasant. So for me, the whole approach is just, um, like we were talking about earlier with, with this business stuff of building the sort of business now that I would want to be a part of and exist in 20 years from now. And the same kind of goes for my own time and my own attention of like, are these the activities that I want to spend my time on for the next 20 years plus is kind of one thing. And so for me, I'm just like, I just don't need to check Twitter, like on my phone right before dinner and right after dinner. And then during the commercial breaks, when my wife and I are watching a show or whatever, like, I just don't need that. I, I I don't need to subdivide up my evening and subdivide up my day into all these like little moments of time in between checking something on my phone and wanting to have just longer chunks of just, I'm here doing this thing, whatever it is that is. Uh, So that's a huge one. And another huge motivating factor for me, uh, especially is just my kids. And, uh, I've got three boys. They're, uh, the oldest just turned seven. I got a five-year-old and a two-year-old and whatever behaviors I do, like they will just see as normal. And I'm like, I just don't want them to see me on my phone all the time. And something that my five-year-old said to me a little while ago, it was uh, like a Saturday and they were playing Legos. Like we are just 
like Legos everywhere right now at the Blanc house, which is awesome. Cause I'm a huge Lego nerd anyway. So it's like, yes, it's awesome. And my five-year-old, he goes, Hey, like he just wanted me to come into his room and just watch him build Legos. It was like all he wanted to do. He didn't want me to like play with him or engage. He just wanted me to like be in there at the same time. And he's like, Hey dad, do you want to uh, come in my room while I'm building Legos? He goes, if you want, you can bring your phone. Oh man. I just like, Oh, <laughs> You know, so it's like, oh my gosh. And that just like, I mean, that was just a dart in my heart. Like it just was like, I do not want that in my home where uh, my kids feel like this thing is attached to my hand or whatever. Um, So that was a huge prompt for why we started doing do not disturb in the evenings. Like my wife and I both put our phones away. And so when I come up from work at 5 p.m. until the boys go down at around seven, we the phones aren't out and they're on like, do not disturb silent mode. And so we're not interacting with our phones in front of the kids. And um, we're also trying to make a shift too of if we need to contact someone around the kids actually using the phone app, which is crazy, or sending like a voice message uh, as opposed to texting somebody. And just because it's like, they don't know what we're doing and, and whatever. And so even them being able to see the way that I'm interacting with the phone and how I'm using it to interact with another person, Cause that's one thing that I love about the iPhone is the way it's just empowered like communication. And, and, uh, I, I think we might get to this later, but one of my favorite iOS apps is the iMessage app. Like it's just, I use it so much and I love it. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great app, but my kids don't know what I'm doing. They just see me staring at the phone, but they can relate to, like I say, Hey, hold on. I'm talking to grandma right now. And they can hear me like actually having the conversation. Um, so we're trying to just improve that. So that's been a huge uh, factor for me. Some of the takeaways from February of not using social media uh, was I just felt like just more creative. I just felt more energy to do writing work. I felt more energy to be able to think about my business, think about the team, uh, build stuff. We're working on this uh, Ulysses course. And I just had more just energy to invest into that. And I felt like I just had more time. Like I felt like I was getting my work done faster and I had more time available to me. And then that time was like not being spent with social media. So I felt like I had more time on top of more time because nothing was getting subdivided. Nothing was getting eaten up. Like, you know, the kids go down to bed. I didn't accidentally spend 45 minutes scrolling mindlessly on Instagram. Like I could spend 10 minutes just staring at a wall and then read a book for half an hour or something like that. And I felt so much more uh, just enjoyment and satisfaction of spending my time that way than it just kind of getting eaten up accidentally through social media stuff. I had a very similar Lego experience, which has led me to the conclusion that I am no longer going to be the guy that answers all his email. But it was almost identical. I wrote about it at the beginning of the the email field guide years ago. And it's funny how much Lego uh, has helped all of us get more responsible towards our children. Thank you, Lego. (laughs) It's true. You know, so I got it right, too. I used to say Legos and uh, boy, the the email boy. Can't can't do that. Talk about email. I think it's interesting that you found yourself going to email more. Just like your brain wanted an inbox, right? Your brain wanted to see something new. That has been uh, similar for me in the past when I've taken breaks, not necessarily with email every time, but something fills that gap or, you know, I want to fill that gap. So maybe I'm really on top of my RSS reading or or whatever it is. Uh, But I think it's a nice segue to talk about maybe 
how you do handle email. You've said a couple times now that that's not a big part of the way that you work anymore. And uh, quite frankly, that sounds amazing as someone who has a lot of email to deal with. Uh, so so what, what apps are you using there? Do you have restrictions on what you let yourself do in that arena? Yeah. So um, a huge one for me was bringing on Isaac and then uh, Joanna here in Kansas City that help with customer support stuff. So now a lot of the just kind of basic inquiries that come in related to the website of, you know, Hey, I can't log into this, or I'm having trouble with X, Y, or Z, um, are now managed by someone else, which is really helpful. So that's taken a huge load. And then ideally it means that the, the emails that I do get are personal emails from, you know, people that I, I want to hear from, or, uh, in theory would want, would want to hear from. Uh, so that's been really helpful. So it means most of the emails in my inbox are, are valuable. Um, and so I just try to go through it when I can, uh, I, I might spend 20 to 30 minutes a day, sometimes, sometimes zero. Um, I don't put a lot of energy into email because, uh, even though it's like relevant, probably it's also like requests of me. And so for me, I'm like, you know what? I will, like, your request of me through my inbox is not the most important thing. Like, even though I think you're awesome, I have other priorities for where I'm, I'm putting my time and intention right now. And so if I can't get to my email during the day, I just really don't sweat about it. And a lot of people, like I know I, I let down so many people, but it, as a result, I spend more time with my family and I spend more time with my team and I spend time doing the work that I need to do that only I can do for moving the business forward and, and for creating the content that we're doing. And so for me, it's like those things come first and then my email inbox comes, you know, after those most important things. Um, so a few things that have helped me to process it better is one, like I just am better at saying no to stuff. So if something sounds cool, it's like, thanks, but no, thanks. Uh, realizing that a lot of cool opportunities come our way and I just don't have the capacity to manage all of those opportunities and that's okay. So that's been a huge one. Um, and then another one is Joanna also helps me manage my calendar. So I'll get a lot of times people say, Hey, I'd love to have you on our podcast. or I'd love to do an interview with you or I'd love to meet. And I'm like, yes, I would actually really be interested in doing that. But managing the calendar juggle is so like, I just hate that. And it's, it, it just drains, like, it takes a lot of time. It kind of drains me. Um, so what I'm able to do is just to like, I can say, oh yes, I would love to like answer this request, whatever this is. And so I can just reply to them and I can CC Joanna and say, Hey, I would love to do this. Do you mind working with Joanna to find a time that works for everybody? And, um, just able to punt some of that stuff and, and, and let Joanna help me because she's so great at the administrative stuff and super friendly. And she knows how I like to keep my calendar managed and the chunks of time that I need for uninterrupted work and when my ideal meeting times are and things like that. So she can help juggle that. And I'm just able to say, yes, let's do it. And so for me, that's been a huge win. Um, I know a lot of people that love to just manage their own calendar or you can use like Calendly. There's a lot of cool apps out there as well, but um, this has been a really helpful uh, tool for me is getting like other people to help me with some of this stuff as well. Um, so that's kind of my approach is I, I get to email when I can and I try to answer as many as I can when I'm checking it. Um, and one of the reasons I'm also excited to have it off my phone is I find that I don't actually man like do email on my phone. I'll just like look at it. I just like open up the inbox 
and like scroll the emails. And it's like, ooh, there's a really good email from somebody that I was waiting to hear back from, but I'm afraid to see what they said. So I'm not going to open that one yet. And like this one, like looks like they want something from me, but I'm not sure what it is. I'm not ready to like think about that. So I won't do that. So I'll just like look at my email inbox and like, I'll just like delete these three that are junk mail or that I'm not interested in, whatever. And like, I won't actually do anything. So I'm like looking at my email inbox without actually even processing it or managing it or responding or anything. I'm just staring. And I'm like, this is a total waste of time and like total waste of my, my, my mental energy. So, uh, so getting away from that, I'm also hoping is going to help me be more efficient at actually doing the email processing, uh, during the week when I, when I do get down to do it on the iPad. Uh, you know, I've been doing kind of an experiment lately. I put my mail app on my phone in a folder, you know, so it's not on my home screen. And occasionally when I'm out and about, I do need to deal with a client thing where I need to send an email and I just write it in drafts and then send it, you know, that way. But I find that I, I rarely check it. And this kind of also solves my problem that I'm unhappy with almost all of the iPhone email applications where I just don't do email mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. But, but when you are on your iPad, how are you, uh, how are you managing email? What app are you using and, and all that? I just use the default mail app. Um, I've always kind of liked it. It's, it's mostly great. Um, I'm a huge fan of Outlook as well. They just seem to be crushing it. Uh, right now. So their iOS apps for mail are really, really cool. Um, but I'm just kind of a outlook. I, I still guess just use the default mail app. Um, and I've got a couple accounts in there and then I just use a unified inbox for all of them though. And just, yeah. Well, I mean, it's stable. It works. I mean, there's a lot to like about Apple's mail app. Yeah, for sure. That's one thing that I will say I miss about the 12.9 inch iPad was you had the three pane window view for mail, which was just super awesome. I was like, this is the best email experience right now. Uh, as opposed to then on the 11 inch, you just got the two pane. Um, so I don't know. I, something about, I just liked, like being able to like process my emails, tap it, drag it into archive or delete. And on the 12.9 was, was great. Yeah. A, a similar trade-off is on the 12.9, you get full size app. So if you put OmniFocus next to your mail app, you get actually full size of both yeah. apps as on the 11, you get, I think it's one third, two third. So you end up with kind of like an iPhone view of one app. Anytime you have two apps up. That's a, bu- I'm, I'm bummed about that too. That those were the two huge things that were just awesome. What's going to happen? Are, are we going to leave the show and you're going to go buy a big one? I'm going to go buy a small one. I know, right? Like I'm gonna, I might I might move to multi bed. So yeah, just just for mail only. It's an email machine. This is my email machine. <laughs> Dumber things have happened. Yeah, no, that's what I always tell people. I've spent money on dumber things in my life. This is nothing. This is nothing. You should see what's in my garage. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Get 10% off your first purchase by going to squarespace.com MPU and use the offer code MPU. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next big idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. No matter what it is you want to create online, whether it's an online store, a portfolio, a blog, or maybe just a website for your new baby. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, 
no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it all covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. For both of my websites, both for Max Sparky and The Law Practice, I started with basic Squarespace templates, but then I just started making small tweaks to get it looking just the way I want. The result is gorgeous. In fact, I think my legal website looks better than most of the legal websites my attorney friends spend thousands and thousands of dollars developing. And I put it all together myself. I'm able to make adjustments to it and make changes without any real trouble. And all of that comes with a Squarespace plan that's just $12 a month. And you can even start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com MPU. When you decide to sign up, use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU and code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for all of their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Sean, one of the things I like uh, when I'm in Instagram, although I don't know if you post an Instagram anymore, is, is all the photography stuff you do. Um, I know that, you know, you are not just a photographer. You are a Leica photographer. And, uh, man, you take some serious pictures. Now, how does the uh, fact that you've got that fancy camera combine with the fact that you do most of your work on iPad? How have you sorted that out? It's been awesome, actually. I originally jumped into the Olympus micro four thirds kind of back in the day. Um, I think we all kind of were in that pearl or uh, that pool back in the day. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. And so I had an Olympus camera for a long time, really began falling in love with photography, but i I kept telling myself, like, I'm not going to get a, a new camera until I feel like I've reached the limit with what I can do with the camera that I have. And I was kind of always saying, you know, it's not the, it's not the tools that you use, but it's how you use the tools. And it's, you know, um, that, you know, that kind of mantra. And just over time, I slowly was just doing less and less photography. So last year, 2018, I'm in San Jose for WWDC. And uh, my buddy Drew Kaufman's there. And we're actually at going to the Connected Live show. And I'm standing in line with Drew. And he's got his bag on and he's got his, uh, like a, cue um, attached to his shoulder on his backpack. And I'm like, Oh dude, this is, this is the like a cue. Like I've, I kind of had wanted one for a while, but had, had told had, had a lot of reasons why I wasn't going to get one. And so basically he lets me borrow it for the evening. Like I had it during the whole, like the time that we're waiting in line. And then during the whole show, and then we went out to dinner afterwards and I just, I had it for like four hours and just like instantly fell in love with it. It was just an amazing camera, just the feel. Uh, like, I mean, you could, you could break someone's kneecaps with this camera. It is like, it's just beefy. It's hardcore, but it's like delightful. It's so easy to use really just, it's awesome. And I was just really just loved the, the photos that I was getting from it, um, in just a few hours. Right. And then he sent me some of them later and, and I was just super happy with it. So, uh, so of course I come home and I'm like, all right, I guess I need to like it now. And so this is whatever, nine months ago, 10 months ago. And, uh, so I found one on eBay, like used and in great condition. Um, cause they're not, they're not cheap. And the Leica Q is definitely the cheaper of the full frame Leica cameras. 
And uh, so I found one used on eBay that was in great shape. And I was like, I'll, I'll have it for a while. And if I don't like it, or if I'm not taking more pictures, like after time, like if the honeymoon phase wears off and then I'm no longer taking pictures, like I'll go ahead and sell it again on eBay and uh, probably be able to get all my money back because they really retain their value. And I just, I just fell in love with it right away and have just like, I've just, so I've just kind of become a picture taking machine over the last 10 months. Um, it's been really great. I'm just really enjoying it. And I feel like the Leica takes, I'm like, it used to be with the Olympus camera that the pictures I took were usually almost as good as I imagined them taking. Uh, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be really great. And I would take it. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty much there. I got to get better as a photographer. Like my, my eye isn't quite there yet. I can envision it in my head, but I can't create it with the camera. And with the Leica, like it flipped me over to the other side of the fence where now it's like I, what I'm seeing in my head is actually lesser than what I'm getting with the camera. And it, it, it's just really incredible. So I feel like, whoa, like this has really um, improved my photography. And sorry, I'm like gushing, but um, I just have really fallen in love with the photography as a, as a creative hobby. And um, I'm a huge fan of, of the Leica. So I actually just like Aaron Mankey texted me the other day and he's like, Hey, do you still like that Leica? It's like, yes, get one. He's like, all right. So we're, we're, we're getting people over <laughs> there. So you guys should trade in your Olympus gear. So now does that save to uh, what, what, What's the memory card format on the Leica? It's just an SD card. It's the same exact okay. cards that I had in my Olympus camera. Um, All right. Just pop it in there. So what I'll do is I'll, you know, after I, I'm done shooting photos, I'll just plug them into my iPad. I just have the the USB-C to SD card adapter dongle. And man, like if anyone has ever done iPad photography stuff, you know, with previous versions of iOS, it was like, slow right like you put the sd card in there and you just gotta wait when wait for each individual image for, for just for the preview to load in the photos app and then you go to import it and then like you gotta wait again for them to actually copy over and now it is so much faster like the preview images load like it seems like instantaneously um and then when you import the photos onto the iPad itself, like they're just pop, pop, pop. Like it's significantly faster. Um, and then I'll go through right from there in the photos app. I'll kind of go through the ones that are good. I'll just delete everything that doesn't look awesome and then take the ones that I'm happy with. And I just, uh, import those into Lightroom, um, edit them there and then send them back into the photos app. And then, uh, from there, I would post them on Instagram, but also print out quite a bit. So we do a lot of printing through like Artifact Uprising or Costco. And we just have picture frames all over the house. And I think every single picture frame in our house has a photo in it that I took uh, of our family or of, you know, some like nature shots of Colorado or just different stuff here and there. Um, I thought about printing out some pictures of the Jeep and hanging them up in the living room. I don't think my wife would appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> she's like, it's in the, the garage. We'll just go look at it there. I was like, no, but I want to, I want to see it here as well. And when people come over, they might not know that this Jeep is in the garage. I want them to see the picture of it. So anyways, yeah, but, uh, I love it. I really love the process of taking a picture, editing it, getting it printed, and then just hanging it on the wall. It's just, it's, I don't know. There's something cool about it. So, yeah, it is really nice. I, you know, I think that it's just that, you know, the working on the iPad with photography is just so natural. It's one of those things that, 
in my opinion, is is better than the Mac. You know, there's certain things that are easier on one device or another, but but just having it there, like I, for some reason, working on the couch and not being at your usual workspace to just work on photography is nice. Yes, I 100% agree. And the Apple Pencil has been a huge uh, help as well. The fact that it's right there. So using the Apple Pencil with Lightroom is really excellent. Um, and then I found out that you can, with Lightroom CC, you can sync your presets. So uh, I had a bunch of Visco film presets that I used in Lightroom. And then for a while I was actually using the Visco app, but I found some other additional presets and I've actually, I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at editing photos without having to use presets. I'm still not great at it. Like some people are like, they're just magical. Like Sebastian DeWitt, like, you know, um, his stuff's just incredible the way he's able to edit a photo and uh, Josh Ginter and, and as well. I'm not there at by any means. So I still need the presets to help me get a good kind of starting point, And then I can tweak it a little bit, but you can buy presets online, right? Like, like so many people sell presets. Uh, and there's this gal, her name's Rebecca Lilly, and she has some really cool presets. So you can buy them, you import them into Lightroom on your Mac, and then those presets will sync over to Lightroom on the iPad. But I don't think there's a way to get presets that you would buy online, someone else's, and download them directly to your iPad, uh, which is a bummer. But um, yeah, so I'm really happy with that. Using the Lightroom app is is actually pretty great. And it's, it's getting better and better. Now it's got these shortcut integrations. So you can actually uh, build shortcuts that will literally just take a bunch of photos right from your Photos app and move them right into Lightroom for you. Uh, which is really cool as opposed to having to import them from the app and, and then you've got duplicates and stuff like that. So uh, it's it's awesome. Yeah, iPad and photography, it's, it's the future. Yeah, there is something nice about having, you know, the, the device you're holding become your photo almost, mm-hmm. right? Like I did it uh, mostly on my iMac Pro, but I found myself doing it with Photoshop, you know, and the image as big as possible. So there are other things not only to distract like my attention, but distract from like visually what's going on. And um, Lightroom is one of those iPad apps that it's like, it's perpetually on my list to check out, but uh, maybe you've, I think you've pushed me over the edge now. It's awesome. We actually have a course if you, if you're curious on Lightroom, it's called mobile photography. I mean, just saying (laughs) you got me, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) No, but this was, that was my big thing, right? was, I was, it was an itch that I needed scratched because I'm like, man, I want to be iPad only, but I don't, A, I don't really know how to edit very well. And B, like, how do you do this stuff on the iPad? that's what I want. And so we, you know, brought in a bunch of really smart people and they like taught me and, and, you know, recorded stuff in the process. But, uh, and I've gone all in with iPad now for photography stuff and it's great. And yeah, you know, so I've got the one terabyte iPad, which is helpful. Um, and then iCloud photo sync and you've got, so everything's there, it's on your phone. Um, and then I just kind of manage everything in the photos app and just using some albums, uh, and like favorites and things like that. But I do a lot of printing as well, which is kind of, that's kind of become my main photo management tool is actually printing. Um, I'm actually wanting to start doing books as well. And then just having, you know, a year's worth of photos in a book and sticking them on the shelf and I think that I think that'd be awesome. We used to do that yeah. back when you could remember when Apple would print your books in iPhoto. You could do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Those are great, and then they stopped, and then I stopped as well. So. The um, now, are you working in RAW or just JPEG coming off of your camera? Yeah, I work in RAW, and the iPad handles it like fine. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, raw, if, especially if you're doing editing and stuff like that within Lightroom or like a Vis- like Visco uh, Cam app can handle raw photos. You just get so much more of just the actual de- photo data. So you've got a lot more. Um, a lot more to work. Yeah, with. a lot more to work with when you're making the edits as opposed to like a flat JPEG file. Sean, uh, we've covered a lot of ground today. Are, are there any apps now that, you, especially like on the iPad, since you spend so much time there, are there any apps that you've got that you haven't mentioned or don't get a lot of love uh, out here in the world that you may want to share with people listening? You know, I recently um, started using this app called Concepts. Uh, actually, I found out about it because of John Voorhees. He wrote about it on Mac Stories a while ago. Um or maybe I found out about it at the same time he was writing. I can't remember, but it's, it's basically, it's an infinite canvas whiteboarding app. And, uh, so now that the Apple pencil is always attached to the iPad, it's like so much more useful. It's always like actually has a charge and it's right there ready to go as opposed to the original version of that, that stupid thing that I never knew where it was and it was always dead. And so I'm using the iPad as a, as a, as a canvas now quite a bit more, and so for me, sometimes when I'm trying to flesh out an idea um, and I'm doing a mind map, I actually prefer like using my hand and kind of like free flow and being able to write stuff and draw and do arrows and circles and side notes and, and things like that. And so a lot of times I'll do that in my notebook, <clears throat> but I wanted to be able to do it on the iPad as well. So I started looking at infinite canvas apps and tried out a few. And there's this one, it's called Concepts. It's really, really cool. And... Um, I feel like it would fit into sort of that similar vein of like things or OmniFocus in terms of like really, really powerful, lots of options, but you don't have to have all of those options like exposed at any given time or even like pay for them. You can actually just use, there's a free version of the app that's really powerful. Um, I paid for the upgrade so I could get PDF export of my drawings and things like that, but it's, it's like simple yet powerful and really cool. You can draw in it and, so infinite canvas means like it's not constrained to like an eight and a half by 11, uh, skeuomorphic paper size on the, the iPad, like with a uh, good notes, if you're using good notes or notability or something like that, um, they actually kind of maintain that basic page notebook structure, which is cool, but it's like, I just want to be able to freeform. And so, um, so concept is a really cool app. It's, it's got that infinite canvas. So you can just go all over the place, zoom way in, zoom way out the color, you know, different, different tools like that and, and things like that. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying using that when, uh, when the time calls for it. Yeah. I'll second that, that, that app is excellent. And, and it really scratches an itch. I didn't even know I had, but once I started using it, I immediately signed up for it. Yeah, exactly. Ulysses. I live inside of Ulysses. I think I already talked, we already talked about that. Um, I really like the new version of good notes. I think the more that I use, the more and more that I'm using my iPad for stuff, the more it's like, hey, I don't have to print this out and sign it and scan it. I just, boom, you know, right here on the iPad. Um, And even something else I've been fiddling with is um, like productivity templates and realizing like creating something that's a basic template, um, like for thought processes or for planning or whatever. And it's, it's a PDF page, but then I can save it in good notes and I duplicate multiple versions of that. And now use this as a, as a, uh, you know, as a template for decision-making or for planning or for, uh, all sorts of different stuff. And so good notes has been really cool for kind of 
discovering this potential new uh, workflow structure for you know stuff like that. And I don't know. And the new version of Gnosis is just so much nicer. Yeah, it is. Uh, Mike and I just spoke about that in last week's episode. Where do you see the dividing line between your fancy notebook and the stuff you do in Good Notes or Concepts? Um, well, the stuff I do in Good Notes, I'm not taking notes in Good Notes. I'm usually filling out paperwork in Good Notes. So, um, you know, like stuff related to you know, whatever it could be health insurance related stuff or taxes or just, you know, signing a contract or just whatever, like something that needs to be filled out. Uh, I, I, I'll do that in good notes. And then I just start, like I said, with these templates, um, getting into like, we've got some, uh, we're building kind of our own approach for marketing template stuff and kind of structure for systems with building and launching some of the products that we do. And so having some of the the decision-making framework stuff within a template that kind of helps lead through sort of the action plan, uh, as well as even just sort of the initial sketches for like, what's the, what's the storyline behind why we're doing this? Who's, who's this product for? What problem does it help them solve? Things like that, like being able to fill some of that stuff out, like brainstorm it within this template so that you just fill in the blanks instead of having to like do all of that thinking from scratch every time has been really sure. powerful. So we're experimenting with doing stuff like that and then having those templates exist inside good notes as just blank PDFs, and then you can duplicate it and then draw on the one that you just duplicated and now save that and export it, share it with your team and stuff like that. Um, so that, and then the brainstorm stuff, obviously concepts is, is can do that, but then the notebook would be as well. And I don't know, I guess I draw the line based on like what mood I'm in. So, yeah. Also, I think some of it's like personal versus like professional in some sense. Yeah. For me at least. Yeah. Well, it's like, what tool do I have right now? What tool do I feel like using? And, um, sometimes it's like, yeah, it's squishy and it's, it's a gray line and I don't care. Just let it be. So let it be. I think that's a great way to end it. Let it be. I won't, I won't sing. That would not be. A great way to end it. If I started, no, I think the three three part harmony. Let's the three of us. Let's just do it right now. I'll get my sax out. Anyway, um, uh, Sean, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's been a long time, and I continue to be impressed and and inspired by all the great work you do. And and thanks for sharing a little bit of your wisdom with our audience, um, gang. If you want to learn more about Sean, Sean, head over to Sean Blanc. That's S H A W N B L A N C dot net or a sweet setup anywhere else people should go Sean those are two great starting points um, and thanks so much for, for bringing everything out to the world as you do uh, thanks to our sponsors 1Password Omni Group Luna Display and Squarespace we'll see you all next week I think Steven you're wearing off on me I'm saying y'all now <laughs>